Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, November the 26th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to recap the aftermath from Sunday's loss in Cleveland, snap counts and what they tell us, player metrics, team rankings, and Devontae Parker's climb up the leaderboards in the post-bi-week edition of the 2019 receiver leaders. Plus, I'm going to give you my top five players at each position and go over the players I scouted on Saturday in college football. And the Bengals call game on on the Tank Bowl in December. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast, however you get your podcast. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Top 200 on Apple Podcasts, top 100 on Spotify. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. We have content from myself and Jason Harina both up on the website right now. That's another Miami Dolphins. So we dive into the article that was up on Tuesday morning on LockedOnDolphins.com. The aftermath, as we do every single Tuesday, taking a look at the snap counts, the player metrics from ProFootballFocus.com, and team rankings as courtesy of ProFootballReference.com. And the first thing I have to mention is the hilariously perfect image of Ryan Fitzpatrick that graces the cover of this article. I tweeted out a three-part image of it on my timeline on Monday with Ryan Fitzpatrick after his rushing touchdown with the biggest surprise look on his face, that chin strap up over his nose, which it always winds up there after he carries the football. Just a perfect perfect Ryan Fitzpatrick photo. Go check that out. As far as the Dolphins team stats here, this one comes in from Cameron Wolf of ESPN and the research he does there. The Dolphins are averaging 63.2 rushing yards per game, and that would be the lowest in the NFL since the 1946 Detroit Lions. Their 3.1 yards per carry is dead last in the NFL by a tenth of a point below Adam Gase and the New York Jets. 11 games into the season now, the Dolphins' passing game ranks 26th with 201.7 yards per game, but they are bottom in the NFL in team passer rating with a 71.0 mark. That's lower than the Bengals at 75.1 in team passer rating. The Dolphins have also allowed a league-worst 46 sacks and the 3.9 adjusted net yards per pass, which takes into account sacks, throwaways, every single drop back a quarterback makes. Dolphins also are dead last in that category as well. They are 30th in scoring, up from 32nd, with 14.8 points per game. They're 8th in red zone touchdown conversion rate, and I can't imagine how few points they would be if they were bottom of the league in the red zone offense. Remember, that's where Chad O'Shea specialized in New England coaching receivers and coordinating the red zone game plans. They're 63% inside the red zone once they get there. They're 24th in the NFL on third downs with a 34% conversion rate, and the Dolphins' defense did not go forward in any mark on the game on Sunday. The pass defense now ranks 22nd, 
but that largely has to do with the fact that they are the 31st ranked rushing defense in the NFL and 25th in yards per rush. Teams can line it up and run at this Dolphins defense over and over again. We'll tell you why here in the individual performances segment of this podcast. They have 45 quarterback hits. That's dead last in the league. They have 14 sacks, also last, and they are missing the 16th most tackles in the league now. I don't have the percentage on that, which I believe is still top 10, but even if they just miss two less tackles, they've missed 70. There are a glut of teams in the 69-68 missed tackle range. If they had two fewer missed tackles, they would still be top 10. So that, that stat is a bit skewed from what it was last week. Dolphins are tied for last in quarterback pressure rate, 17.3%. They are alone at the bottom of the league in hurry rate at 6.2%, and they have a 7.7 quarterback knockdown rate, which ranks 10th in the NFL. The snap counts for the game on the Dolphins' offensive side of the ball were somewhat manipulated by the injuries that occurred throughout the game. The quarterback and offensive line made it all the way through the game, and that has happened more times this year already than any of the three years with Adam Gase having all five linemen and the quarterback get through the entire game without exiting for an injury more this year than any of the three years with Adam Gase. They all played 63 snaps on Sunday, 100%. Kalen Balaj lost a lot of his workload to Patrick Laird, although I assume that happened late in the game. I told you guys I kind of checked out in the fourth quarter of that game. Balash played 24, Patrick Laird played 23, and Miles Gaskin had 16 snaps. I think we're in for a big change on Sunday against Philadelphia with more Patrick Laird workload, so everybody should be happy with that. Chandler Cox only played three snaps. That's 5%. Devontae Parker played 63 snaps every single down. Again, can't say enough about him. We'll talk about him more in just one second. Alan Hearns played 57 snaps. That's good for 90%. Albert Wilson left after 30 snaps, about half the game's workload. And Jakeem Grant only played three before he got hurt. Mike Kosicki played 90% of the snaps, 57 of them. Durham Smythe comes up from eight last week to play 39 this week. He was one of just two tight ends to play in the game on Sunday. And Smythe only has one catch this season. He was targeted once in the game on Sunday. It was a pass breakup. I just don't know if he's the other tight end alongside Mike Gesicki. We'll talk about that more in just one second as well. He did okay in the running game, but he was a shutout in pass protection. He's a better blocker than pass catcher, but is he elite as a blocker? That's where I start to wonder what his future is with Miami. Gesicki had that first career touchdown, but he only caught three of the seven targets and had another drop. Michael Dieter had his best day in pass protection, allowed just one pressure, and did not let the quarterback get hit one time. The pressure was a hurry. Everybody on the Dolphins' offensive line graded poorly in the running game. We'll just go ahead and use that blanket statement. And Julian Davenport at left tackle, man, even though he didn't face Miles Garrett, allows seven more pressures. That's 23 on the season in just three games, and two of those games he didn't finish. So Davenport, there's your answer. He's not going to be here long term. Jesse Davis has a three-year contract with this team, but he still continues to struggle at right tackle. He allowed four pressures on Sunday. One of those was a sack. Daniel Kilgore had the best run blocking grade, but that's not good because it was 62.4 and you want to be around 75 to be considered a good game. Shaq Calhoun was last on the non-Julian Davenport list for run blocking, and he also allowed two pressures in his own right. Back to Devontae Parker here. He has just been consistent, big playability, big time numbers, 
Greedy Williams actually won the matchup between Devontae Parker, just two catches for five, two catches on five targets rather. But what I liked about Parker's game was that his 91 yards were spread almost equal across four players. He had 25, 23, 22, and 21 receiving yards against four different Browns coverage members in that secondary. He averaged 5.8 yards after the catch, 35 total rack yards. He is averaging a career high 8.37 yards per target. He's on track to beat both of his career highs in catches and receptions. And since returning from the bye week in week number five for Miami, Devontae Parker ranks second among receivers in receiving yards with 494. He ranks just below Tyreek Hill of the Kansas City Chiefs, DeAndre Hopkins, Julian Edelman, and John Brown are on that list. So some elite company there around Devontae Parker. He's having a hell of a season. Let's finish up the offense here with Alan Hearns. He drops another pass, but he did catch four out of his seven targets for 42 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty much who he's been the last five or six weeks, so he's been consistent that way. That's a freaking spam caller. God, those things drive me crazy. Back to the game. Ryan Fitzpatrick dealt with drops and pressures all day long. Four drops and four sacks on him on the offense. He had a passer rating of just 3.3. Yeah, that's right. Single digit. 3.3 under pressure. He was 3 of 10 with 38 yards and an interception. That's kind of where Tua and the idea of erasing pressure comes in. Although I will say, anybody that goes behind this offensive line is going to struggle. They got to fix it in the offseason. Kalen Balaj on track to be the first running back with over 100 carries, under 200 yards. He had just 12 yards after contact on Sunday and did not pick up a first down on nine carries. Patrick Laird had 20 yards on three carries, 10 of those coming after contact for a 3.33 yards after contact average. He dropped the one pass they threw to him. We're going to come back and talk about Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals, the Dolphins defensive snaps, who I scouted on Saturday in college football and the top five players at each position in my 2020 NFL draft big board. But first, The best holiday on the calendar is just two days away. And whether you're a past, present, or future MyBookie player, for this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to 250 bucks. If you win, congrats. You've got some extra holiday spending cash, and if you lose, also congrats. MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. No risk, all gravy, baby. Do you find yourself wanting to bet sports but you have a lot of questions? Don't sweat that either. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process, and the best part is, if you join now, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag, make your first deposit with promo code Locked On, and mybookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. So if you're a true football fan, do not let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. With mybookie, where you play, you win, you get paid. NFL officiating, man. How do we affect change as fans? Do we have any power? Like, would every single football fan in America skipping one week change the NFL's mandate for their officials and how they hold them accountable? Would you do that? Would you skip one weekend of football to try to forever fix the officiating problem the NFL has right now? Because it has become a full-blown problem. That tripping call or the multiple tripping calls in the Dallas-New England game That's unacceptable, and we just can't have that kind of stuff. And so I just wonder what we have to do to get them to 
I guess hold those refs accountable. And I think skipping one week of football might be the answer. And I know that football weekends are sacred. After all, the last full Saturday slate of college football is now in the rearview mirror for 2019. And that's the most depressing thing I've said in 2019. Yeah, we've got rivalry weekend ahead, then championship weekend before bowl season. And all of that's great. And five weeks left of the NFL season before the greatest tournament in all of sports, the NFL playoffs. But man, the end is fast approaching there and it's depressing, but I can't say that I'm all bummed out about that, at least not from a professional football standpoint. I'm actually kind of looking forward to the Dolphins season coming to an end because it's been difficult this year, as all of you know. And even though I've been team get the highest draft pick since the opener, those two wins got me a little bit discombobulated in how I watch these games as those beatdowns now seem even tougher to witness after you saw a couple victories in a few games just a few weeks back. And to be perfectly honest here with you guys, and my wife is a total saint, she pretty much lets me write my own weekend schedules, and I watch a lot of football, as you guys know, to bring you as much content as I can on Saturdays and Sundays. But between the 12-hour marathon on Saturday and the three game windows on Sunday, the three hours I look forward to the least on the weekends right now are the Dolphins football games. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy evaluating our own guys. I get a blast out of this preseason-like season, but not having a dog in the fight, not having those nervous ticks that are worth it because of the jubilation when you do win, man, I really, really miss that. I didn't realize how bad I would miss it, but now into December, as teams are having these playoff pushes, I sure as hell do miss it. So I do look forward to the offseason, but not having games on, that certainly is going to suck. And with that, we'll get back into the aftermath here in just one second on the defensive side of the ball. But the Bengals made an announcement on Monday, a curious one. Not that it was the wrong decision, but a correction of a wrong decision made a few weeks back to go to Ryan Finley, as they will now turn back to Andy Dalton. The red rifle rides again, and I'm going to call it right now here on the podcast. They're going to win at home on Sunday against the Jets. You guys know how Adam Gaze does on the road, which, a quick aside, you guys seeing all the Jets fans buying back in on Adam Gase? How beautiful is that? Are you seeing them all buy back in on the fool's gold of Sam Darnold for a second straight year? A nice December run? Good for you, buddy. It's bea beautiful to watch them buy back in on a head coach who we all know is going to fail them again next year and put them even one year deeper into the hole in regards to developing Sam Darnold, their franchise quarterback. So the Bengals, I think, pick up win number one. They should have had it on Sunday against Pittsburgh. And given where I think Miami's roster is right now, beyond decimated in the backfield, the secondary, no depth whatsoever on the defensive line at wide receiver and on the offensive line being the worst one in the league, I think these next three weeks are going to be losses, setting up a game where if the Bengals win on Sunday against the Jets, the loser of that gets the first pick. So a week 16, huge tank bowl between the Dolphins and Bengals. Will they go with Rosen at that point? I tend to think not because remember, there's a good chance that he's not back next year. So what the hell's the point? But if it is Rosen, the Bengals, I think, could beat Miami in Miami and they could still wind up with the number one pick at 2-14. and 14. What a crazy ride that would be. Either way, I still think they wind up with Tua no matter where they pick, whether it's one, two, or three but it's all fun to see how it gets there and how this route has kind of developed over the last few months. Back now into the aftermath, the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And the reason I keep alluding to Miami's thin defensive line is not because of the guys that start the game and play the most snaps, but when you take them off the field or the fact that you have to keep them on the field 
that's when they tend to get gashed in things because Christian Wilkins played 64 snaps on Sunday. And this is a guy that was limping around the practice field who was really having a hard time acclimating to the heat of South Florida in August. And really, who wouldn't? All those guys had to deal with that too. But he was not in shape at that time of a year. But now in December, I guess late November, he's playing 84% of your snaps on the defensive line. And he had his best game of the year as well. We'll get to that in just one second. Devon Godshaw played 60. That's 79% of the snaps. I think both those guys should be around. Wilkins probably around 75% and Godshaw probably closer to 60%. John Jenkins then also is at 55 snaps. That's 72%. He should probably be down around 40 or 50% workload. Avery Moss comes in for them. He's a 23 snap taker, 30%. Taco Charlton played just 15 and Gerald Willis had eight snaps on Sunday. At linebacker, Jerome Baker played every snap, all 76. Vince Beagle played 69 and Raekwon McMillan played 67. I think it was his worst game as a pro. Charles Harris had 38 snaps. Sam McGuavin played just nine. And the gangster Andrew Van Ginkle, played seven in that fourth quarter. Defensive backs, they played a lot of them. Steven Parker had 69. Nick Needham had 68. Eric Rowe, 59 snaps. Jamal Wiltz, 48. So was Ryan Lewis at 48. Ken Crawley played 36 snaps before coming out with the injury. Adrian Colbert, the newcomer, played 12 snaps. And Chris Lamonts had five snaps on Sunday. But back to Christian Wilkins, the 86% workload. And he had four run stops in the game and three quarterback pressures. I think this guy is a budding star for this Dolphins team. Just show a little more patience. It was always going to be a slow climb with him this year in a rookie season on a tough circumstances. And trying to learn a new scheme and style, he's coming along very nicely. He was the second best graded player on Miami's defense on Sunday and Taco Charlton got the top honors in that regard, but he only had one hurry and no run stops on 14 downs. I thought Devon Godshaw earned the best grade of the day with six tackles, two for run stops and four quarterback pressures, one sack, two hits and a hurry. That's the best pressure production of Godshaw's career to date. Eric Rowe had one target, no catches on him and he made the only tackle opportunity that presented itself to him. Nick Needham had a rough day, came back down to earth. Two touchdowns, 87 receiving yards on six of seven passing in his area. And the linebacker play cumulatively was just not good in this game. Between McMillan, Baker, and Beagle, and you heard how many snaps they played, they combined to miss four tackles, and all three of them had a grade of 57.4 or worse. That's well below average on pro football focus. They combined for three quarterback pressures on 37 total pass rush attempts, and they made just six run stops on 97 rundowns. That position killed Miami, or I guess the back seven in general killed Miami on Sunday. So all of that data is available for you guys on the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the snap counts. And as I always do in that article, a third segment that's just kind of an off the wall, my post Sunday day after 24 hour rule thoughts on where Miami stands. And this time I'm talking about a construction of the offense and how you can possibly get this team right back into contention next season. And it kind of used two features to prove my point. Number one, Noah DuPont, friend of the podcast, a buddy I meet up with at Safeco Field or I guess T-Mobile Park. It's Safeco Field, Noah. It's always Safeco to me. He gave me a video over the weekend talking about the 2001 Patriots team and how they signed 23 free agents that year and basically remade the team in Bill Belichick's vision for a championship roster. They also added 10 rookies to that team and three of the first four picks in that draft were on the offensive and 
defensive line. And it kind of speaks to New England's ability to adapt over the 20-year run they've had now on the fly when they have to present new ways to attack defenses from the Randy Moss, Wes Welker, 50-touchdown pass, air it out attack to last season with Sonny Michelle and LeGarrette Blunt before that as a run-first, 12-personnel heavy team. They find a way to create winners no matter what their scheme and system is. And I think the Dolphins might be in a position where they can build this team around three guys right now. And of course, you do want to build that around the quarterback, whichever it is you draft. Probably the first pick you're going to make this year. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. Mike Gesicki, Preston Williams, and Devontae Parker in a 12 personnel set with Alan Hearns as your top slot receiver off the bench to play about 60% of the snaps. But I think the way the NFL is trending, you have two teams right now. Check that. Three teams, Arizona, San Francisco, and Minnesota are the only three teams that use other personnel packages more than 11 personnel. And when it comes to Arizona, it's because of their 10 personnel package and Cliff Kingsbury spread. With the Niners, they have 21 and 12 personnel combines for more snaps than 11 personnel with that awesome run game and Kyle Shanahan. And then with the Vikings, they run 12 personnel more because of Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. And that's kind of where I'm thinking this Dolphins team should go to best maximize their ability to run the football because back in training camp, this team ran the ball over and over again. One of the beat guys told me, hey, if you love running the football, come watch the Miami Dolphins practice. And that's what was true of 2019 training camp. And so I think with Miami's option to go after and maybe even top that 23 free agent signing mark this offseason and to go into the draft with 14 rookies, you can build this offense in the vision that you prefer. Countless options, but I think this one might be the best one. And when it comes to food delivery services, you guys know who the best one is. Long day at work, still stuck at the office, open the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. thought of this idea for this final segment here late Sunday night and I have been looking forward to it ever since then. Travis Wingfield here, your host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're talking about college football, man. That's been my really saving grace this season, what has gotten me through. And yeah, these games happened on Saturday, and it is Tuesday here on LOD. But I want to talk about them anyway because I spent the entire day scouting these guys, and I want to look ahead at some of the players I think will be very high up on Miami's draft board. And we're just going to start here in order of how they appear in the LockedOnDolphins.com article under the additional prospect videos in the Week 13 College Quarterback Scouting review of college football on Saturday. If you guys didn't hear that segment on Sunday's podcast, go back and listen to it again and give me double downloads. That would be great of you. Yatir Gross Matos, YGM, a long, strong, good edge-setting defensive end that can rush the passer. He can win with an arsenal of pass rush moves with power and speed. This guy has shot into the top 15, in my opinion, up the draft board, and he has to go off the board with Pittsburgh's pick, or else you're probably not going to get a crack at him. He is an excellent excellent fit in Miami. Wide receiver Tyler Johnson, I keep talking about him. He had another boss game on Sunday. He is a smooth, smart, crisp route runner, catches everything, plucks it with his hands. I like him a lot as the Dolphins slot 
That's a lot of rhymes. Antoine Winfield from Minnesota. I've talked about him over and over again. Go check out the videos I put up on this thread because the announcing crew and basically parroting back what PJ Fleck, who's one of the greatest coaches in college football, row the boat, row the boat, row the boat. He had so many nice things to say about Antoine Winfield. And I think he has the perfect makeup and character for the Dolphins and who they want to put on this defense on that back end. I put Rashad Bateman, another Minnesota receiver, but he's class of 2021. He's an absolute freak. Going forward, back to the defensive side of the ball, Sean Wade, the Ohio State safety slash slot corner. He had a great day against KJ Hamler. Hamler had just one catch and it was a broken play where Sean Wade basically ran the route for Hamler and then turned his head away because he thought his coverage was so good the ball wasn't coming and it did. But that was the only catch he allowed for Hamler on the day. Malik Harrison, Ohio State outside linebacker. He could add some more weight, but I think he would be a great edge defender in this defense as an OLB. AJ Dillon to me, Boston College's 250-pound easy glide back is basically a 10-pound heavier Ronnie Brown. Go check him out. J.R. Reed's a very smart, instinctive senior safety from Georgia. I think he fits in well here. Shane Lemieux might be the best guard in football, if you ask me. He's from Oregon. He just blows people off the football, and I think that's what Miami will want to do next year when they rebuild this offensive line. And then finally, a running back from Utah. You've heard me talk about him. If you haven't seen Zach Moss against Arizona, get to YouTube and go check that thing out. It should be up there. I hope it is, because he was awesome in that game. Had something like 250 total yards after the third quarter when they destroyed the Arizona Wildcats. So go check out all those clips. But now let's finish this thing up with my top five players at each position heading into the rivalry weekend of college football for the 2020 NFL Draft. We start at quarterback. You guys know it by now. Tua, Love, Burrow, Fromm, and Herbert. We talked about it yesterday. I won't go more in depth on that. At tailback, I think J.K. Dobbins can do all three phases. He has breakaway speed, good strength, and contact balance. He's number one. I've got Zach Moss number two. And then I have the speedsters and Travis Etienne and DeAndre Swift. Those guys are special playmakers at three and four. And Jonathan Taylor's number five to me. You really can't go wrong with any of those five. And if one of those guys makes it into round two, gobble them up. Receivers, Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. Not a lot of separation there. Those guys are elite prospects and top 10 picks. There's a fall off, Henry Ruggs, T Higgins. And then I'm going to put Tyler Johnson number five because I think that route runners win and that dude can run some of the best routes in college football. Tight end, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, Jared Pinckney from Vanderbilt, Grant Calcaterra at Oklahoma, Hunter Bryant at UW and Colby Parkinson at Stanford. Admittedly, I want to see more tight ends. I haven't put a lot of time into that position so far in this draft process. On the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, I think is as sturdy as they come at left tackle. I think Tristan Wirfs has a bunch of upside. He's my number two tackle. The number three is going to be Jedrick Willis from Alabama. And then I have Lucas Nyong, the TCU product, and he did tear an ACL which probably means Miami could get a discount price on him in the second or third round, but he has great length and athleticism. And then fifth is Alex Leatherwood. And Dolphins fans, I think a favorite of theirs might be Prince Tega Wanagu. I think I said that right. The Auburn massive, huge, long tackle. He'll be at the Senior Bowl. We'll keep an eye on him. On the interior offensive line, I've got Shane Lemieux number one. He's the best in the country, if you ask me. Creed Humphreys number two. Tyler Bayadash, the Wisconsin center, is number three. And my number four guy would probably be number one, if not for all the medical concerns. But Trey Smith at Tennessee is a monster left guard. And then Jake Hansen, the Oregon center, is going to round out that group. On the defensive side, up front on the interior, 
Derek Brown is obviously number one on any big board. He should be there. Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina State is an absolute monster. Raekwon Davis from Alabama would be a great fit in Miami. Then we go Marvin Wilson from Florida State. And then Leaky Fotu, great name, a monster Polynesian from Utah. They seem to only produce those Polynesian beasts out there in Utah. Love watching him play. Off the edge, Chase Young, clear number one. AJ Epinesa, clear number two. YGM, Yatira Gross Matos, is my clear number three. And then Caleb on Chase on right behind him. And Curtis Weaver at Boise State. Get used to that name. He's about 300 pounds, and he would be an excellent fit in this Dolphins defense. At linebacker, Dylan Moses, although he missed the entire year. Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma, my number two, with all that speed and explosiveness. And then for the number three linebacker, we're going to go in the complete opposite direction and take Patty Fisher from Northwestern. He's a sure tackler and a smart player. Troy Dye from Oregon, probably not a fit here, but he's super athletic. I like him as well. And then Monty Rice, same story with him, athletic and kind of undersized for the Dolphins, but he comes from Georgia. The linebacker class is not great. That seems to be the case every single year. At cornerback, Jeff Okuda and Christian Fulton. We've talked about both them a ton. I'm going to go Sean Wade, number three, even though he's more of a safety slash slot His best position is the slot. Bryce Hall, the Virginia cornerback who's out for the year with a torn ACL. He is a damn good player, and I would love to scoop him up in the second or third round. And then Paulson Adebo from Stanford, my number five cornerback at safety. Isaiah Simmons is not a linebacker in the NFL, in my opinion. He's a safety. Xavier McKinney from Alabama. Both those guys are first-round picks. I'm going to go Antoine Winfield over Grant Delpit because I hate the way Delpit tackles and makes business decisions. He comes in at number four, and then I have Ashton Davis of Cal and Julian Blackman at Utah rounding out a tie for the fifth spot at the safety class. So that's my current college football rankings, top five for Miami. We're going to just cover the crap out of this thing from now all the way up until April. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for crossover and all 22 edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. <laughs>